Google Drive has lost user files. The LAPD has secured a new controversial surveillance software. The French government wants to switch to locally made messengers and much more. Welcome to Surveillance Report 158, where we are dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news from the past week. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And I'm Henry from TechWorks. We have our promo spot, which is the usual. We have Patreon. If you want to support us in an ongoing fashion and you want to get a little something in return for $5 a month or more, you can be part of the Q&A, which will come out later this week. For $10 a month or more, you don't have to listen to this segment and you get some more of our thoughts, some more of our rants, some more of our analysis, etc. If you don't care about any of that, you just want a recurring way to support us, we have LibrePay. And as always, the most anonymous way to support us would be Monero. You can send money directly to us. There's no middleman. There's no processing fee. Well, I guess there's technically like the blockchain processing fees, but you know what I mean? You're not paying some third-party company and we don't see anything about you, but we do see all the support. Thank you guys so much for keeping us going. We really appreciate every single one of you. Highlight stories. So this is definitely a eye-opener. Google Drive users are angry over losing months of stored data. The recent files stored in the cloud have suddenly disappeared with the cloud service reverting to a storage snapshot as it was around April to May 2023. The activity logs on impacted accounts do not show any recent changes, confirming that the users themselves didn't accidentally delete them. Overall, there are no indications of a user error, but rather a problem with the services system that prevented the sync of data between the local devices and Google Cloud at some point. Google's volunteer support agents have posted an alleged response from Google support engineers that confirms they are already investigating the issue. However, an estimate for a fix hasn't been provided yet. The recommendation for those affected is to avoid making changes to the root data folder until the situation clears up and the root cause of the problem is determined. In this situation, Google Drive users should refrain from changing their cloud storage as it might complicate the recovery process. Instead, your best bet would be to contact Google support, open a new case, and monitor for official updates. Until the problem is resolved, it would be more prudent to back up important files locally or use a different cloud service. Not fun. We were talking right before this how a lot of people, myself included, like to rely on cloud storage, especially from maybe a more established company, because we assume they're going to implement things and do them in a better way with more redundancy and better backups than you would yourself. And perhaps that's still true, and things like this are very rare, even on Google's end. But I think it's still a good reminder that even this stuff isn't foolproof, and you should probably have a backup yourself of all your data, and then maybe also have an offsite backup. Actually, for once, I don't think I have much to add to that. On my website, The New Oil, I do have a page about backups, but basically, three, two, one, three copies of your data, at least two of them. What is it? At least two, two different formats. No, I, th- oh. I think that's it, and one offsite, something like that. I don't know. It's on the website. Go look. Okay, with that, we'll move into data breaches. Slightly shorter week than usual. We do have some updates, though. We'll start off, this is not an update, we'll start off with General Electric, who is investigating claims of a cyber attack and data theft. For those who don't know, GE is an American multinational company with divisions in power, renewable energy, and aerospace industries. You've probably seen the logo at least once in your life. Earlier this month, a threat actor attempted to sell access to GE's, quote, development and software pipelines, unquote, for $500 on a hacking forum. After not selling... The threat actor posted again that they are now selling both network access and the allegedly stolen data. As proof of the breach, they shared screenshots of what they claim is the stolen data, including a database from GE Aviations that appears to contain information on military projects. According to them, data includes a lot of DARPA-related military information, files, SQL files, documents, etc. Just for those who don't know, DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency? Something. I call them the mad scientists of the DOD. They come up with some really cool, fascinating research, but it's also a little dystopian and scary. I have very mixed opinions on DARPA. 
Ukraine says it hacked Russian aviation agency and it leaks data. So this is part of Ukraine's intelligence service operating under the defense ministry. And they claim that they hacked Russia's federal air transport agency to expose a purported collapse of Russia's aviation sector. The data obtained as a result of hacking and penetration of enemy information system includes a list of daily reports for the entire Russian Federation for more than a year and a half. Their analysis shows that the civil aviation sector of Russia is on the verge of collapse. The article lists several noteworthy incidents such as aircraft malfunctions tripling, a rise in uncertified maintenance using non-authentic parts, and more. The article lists them all out, and Ukraine is claiming this is a direct result of global sanctions. It's a really interesting list. I recommend checking it out. Our next breach comes from DP World, who confirms data was stolen in a cyber attack, but no ransomware was used. DP World Australia handles 40% of the country's shipping container trade, and they were targeted by attackers who disrupted landside freight operations at five ports. This disruption left 30,137 containers stranded, and available storage spaces were filled to capacity. While the investigation has shown that customer data was not affected, some of the impacted data includes the personal information of current and previous employees of DP World Australia. And unfortunately, that is pretty much the entirety of what we know right now. We don't know uh, how many people were affected or what data was stolen, but as always, if we hear more, we will keep you updated. Keelan ransomware claims attack on automotive giant Yang Fen. Hope I'm saying these right. Uh, I'm trying my best. Yang Feng is a Chinese automotive parts developer and manufacturer focused on interior components and employs over 57,000 people in 240 locations worldwide. The threat actors published multiple samples to prove their alleged access to the systems and files, including financial documents, NDAs, quotation files, technical data sheets, and internal reports. I didn't put it in the notes, but apparently Yang Feng is like pretty much the supplier for like every car company in the world or like all the big ones at least. All right, Lockbit claims a cyber attack on India's National Aerospace Lab. Set up in 1959, the NAL is India's first and largest aerospace research organization. It is owned by the Indian government's Council of Scientific and Industrial Research, led by the Prime Minister, and works closely with other government entities, including the Indian Space Research Organization and Defense Research and Development Organization. Lockbit posted purportedly stolen documents, including confidential letters, an employee's passport, and other internal documents. And once again, that's kind of all we know at this time. Hacker claims theft of Shadowfax users' information. This is touted as India's largest on-demand third-party logistics platform and works with some of the biggest e-commerce and hyper-local food delivery companies in the country. A portion of the data published in the listing claims to include mobile phone numbers, order delivery and pickup statuses, and tracking identifiers of users who received orders or processed pickups through the platform. This affected 5 million people, and it's unclear if the data was obtained directly from Shadowfax servers directly or as part of an existing breach incident. Dollar Tree hit by third-party data breach impacting 2 million people. So again, for those who don't know, Dollar Tree is a discount retail company that operates Dollar Tree and Family Dollar stores in 23,000 locations across the US and Canada. The information stolen during the attack includes names, dates of birth, and social security numbers for employees. So this appears to have only infected employees at this time. Security flaws in court record systems used in five U.S. states exposed sensitive legal documents. So a tipster told Parker, who's the security researcher, that two U.S. court record systems had vulnerabilities that were exposing sensitive legal filings to anyone on the web. They reported the bugs to the affected courts, but said they heard nothing back. Equipped with these findings, Parker fell down a rabbit hole investigating several affected court record systems. Parker subsequently uncovered security flaws in at least eight court record systems used across Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, Ohio, and Tennessee. 
And the first document that they ran across was an order from a judge in a domestic violence case. The order was to grant name changes for children to basically keep them safe from the spouse. Speaking about reproducing the first vulnerability, immediately my jaw just went to the center of the earth and stayed that way for weeks. The bugs vary by complexity, but could all be exploited by anyone using only the developer tools built into any web browser. One of the bugs was as easy as exploiting as incrementing a document number in the browser's address bar of one of Florida's court record systems. Another bug allowed anyone automatic passwordless access to a court record system by adding a six-letter code to any username, which Parker said they found as a clickable link in a Google search result. With help from Vulnerability Disclosure Center, CERT-CC, and CISA's Coordinated Vulnerability Disclosure Team, Parker shared details of nine total vulnerabilities with the affected vendors and judiciaries in an effort to get them fixed. What came back was a mixed bag of results. Three technology vendors fixed the bugs in their respective court record systems, but only two firms confirmed to TechCrunch that the fixes took effect. The vast majority of places either ignored her or gave a generic response with no information, and one even vaguely threatened to sue her. The full article should be read, it's full of information and hard to summarize, and it will make your jaw drop for weeks to the center of the earth as well. Now we got a few updates. The first one comes from the British Library, who confirms that customer data was stolen by attackers and their outage is expected to last months. So at a minimum, the database is stolen contain the name and email address for most users, according to the disclosure. For users of some of our service, the databases may also contain a postal address or telephone number. TechCrunch has reviewed portions of the published data, including various internal documents, such as training information and invoices and sensitive employee information, like salary details and scans of passports. Previously, the library had said that they had no evidence that customer data was compromised. Octa, let's go. So at the beginning of November, the company disclosed that a threat actor has gained unauthorized access to files inside the customer support system, and that early evidence indicated a limited breach. According to details uncovered at the time, the hackers accessed HAR files with cookies and session tokens for 134 customers, which is less than 1% of the company's customers. That could be used to hijack Okta sessions of legitimate users. Further investigation of the attack revealed that the threat actor also downloaded a report that contained the names and email addresses of all Okta customer support system users. According to the company, the stolen report includes fields for full names, usernames, email, company name, user type, address, last password change and reset, role, phone number, mobile phone, time zone and SAML Federation ID. However, Okta clarifies that for 99.6% of the users listed in the report, the only contact information available were full name and email addresses. Also, the company assured that no credentials were exposed. So an update for anyone listening, stay subscribed. And our last update comes from 23andMe, who says that attackers accessed, quote, significant number of files about users' ancestry. In a new filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission published today, the company said that based on its investigation into the incident, it determined that attackers had accessed 0.1% of its customer base, contrary to the, uh, what they say, like 4 million or something like that. According to their annual earnings report, 23andMe has more than 14 million customers, so 0.1% would be around 14,000. But the company also said that by accessing those accounts, the attackers were able to access, quote, a significant number of files containing profile information about other users' ancestry that such users choose to share when opting into 23andMe's DNA relatives feature, unquote. The company did not specify what a, quote-unquote, significant number of files is, nor how many of these, quote-unquote, other users were impacted. 23andMe did not immediately respond to requests for comment, which included questions on those numbers. All right, and now we're going to go into companies, and we just have one story, which is Meta designed products to capitalize on teen vulnerabilities, states allege. 
An internal 2020 meta presentation shows that the company sought to engineer its products to capitalize on the parts of youth psychology that render teens predisposed to impulse, peer pressure, and potentially harmful, risky behavior. And it's not regulators or critics who think Instagram is unhealthy young teens. It's everyone from researchers and academic experts to parents. The blueprint of the app is inherently not designed for any age group that don't have the same cognitive and emotional skills that older teens do. Meta says it didn't design its products to be addictive for teens. They also said in the US, company algorithms estimated Meta has as many as 4 million underage users. Rather than seeking to crack down on underage usage, according to the complaint, Meta created charts boasting Instagram's penetration into 11 and 12 year old demographic cohorts. The unredacted material also includes allegations that Meta's chief executive Mark Zuckerberg instructed his subordinates to give priority to boosting its platform's usage above the well being of users. That was all we had for companies, so we're going to go into research. We just have one story from research. It says the largest study of its kind shows outdated password practices are widespread. I'm going to sum it all up in this one sentence right here. The researcher's method of inferring password policies succeeded on over 20,000 sites in the database and showed that many sites permit very short passwords, specifically about 75% allowed less than eight characters. 12% didn't have a minimum length at all. They do not block common passwords, 28%, and they use outdated requirements like requiring complex characters. The whole article is worth a read. It's pretty interesting, but that's kind of the gist of it. Over to politics, U.S. judge blocks Montana from banning TikTok use in the state. So Montana was trying to ban TikTok for some reason, and a U.S. judge late on Thursday blocked Montana's first-of-its-kind state ban on the use of short video sharing app TikTok from taking effect on January 1st, saying it violated the free speech rights of users. Uh, it issued a preliminary injunction to block the ban on the Chinese-owned app, saying the state ban violates the Constitution in more ways than one and oversteps state power. Our next story says the LAPD, Los Angeles Police Department, for those who don't know, is using controversial mass surveillance tracking software. The company that provides the software, called Weblock, is Cobwebs Technologies. The company was founded by three Israeli Defense Force veterans in 2015. They have previously sold contracts to the IRS and the Texas State Police. Each contract costs about $200,000 per year. The LAPD contracted with the firm in October 2022 and plans to use this technology for a full year before auditing its use and compiling a report. Cobweb Systems has two main platforms. The first is called Tangles, which the company previously described in a now-deleted press release, which that links to a web archive link if you want to go read it, as a web intelligence platform that allows users to search the open web, social media, dark web, and deep web. Tangles can be AI-enabled with image recognition, face recognition, optical character recognition capabilities, natural language processing, and more, according to the release. The second, called Weblock, with another now-deleted web page on Cobweb's website, described as a location intelligence system. Weblog provides access to vast amounts of location-based data in any specific geographic location. This allows users, law enforcement in the case of Texas State Police or the LAPD, to track individuals' geolocation data. Weblock offers deep analysis of geofences and threat actors' location history and detailed data discovery, as well as live data updates and real-time alerts about changes in an individual's location. This is a very, very long article, so I just kind of tried to pick out like relevant pieces here. A U.S. Navy bid request for Weblock listed a person's device type, gender, age, interest, geolocated, IP address and mobile advertising IDs as available information to, quote, enhance target identification and tracking. The communications published by the Brennan Center suggest that the LAPD initially could not afford the subscription price, but that it planned to obtain the necessary funding through a grant from the Department of Homeland Security dedicated to increasing urban security. 
The LAPD's public information office told Vice in an emailed statement, quote, the Los Angeles Police Department utilizes Cobweb's technology platform to consolidate open source, publicly available information, and commercially available anonymized data in relation to criminal investigations. These investigations include serious felony crimes, such as murders, robberies, etc., along with threats to public safety, such as mass shootings and critical infrastructure. Cobwebs greatly aids the LAPD in these investigations and acts as a force multiplier in the processing of this pertinent and lawfully obtained data. The statement continues, this technology is extremely limited in its deployment and usage. The LAPD has implemented an oversight, audit, and review process with its usage of the Cobwebs Technologies platform, unquote. We have another big story, and I'm going to condense this because... You can read more details. I'm going to simplify this, though. Pretty much the Prime Minister of France signed a circular last week requesting all government employees to uninstall foreign communication apps like Signal, WhatsApp, and Telegram by December 8th in favor of a French messaging app named Olvid. This is something that supports end-to-end encryption, uses a decentralized infrastructure, doesn't require a phone number or any other personal data for registration, and so it's seen as a more trustworthy option that includes all the key features of its more renowned and widely used competitors. Meredith, who's the president of Signal, did challenge this and say we don't have any reason to believe that Signal has any of these security issues that they're claiming, and it's not backed by any evidence. It's just an interesting situation. Pretty much, Olvid does actually have some real backing by some legitimate people, and I looked at the website, and it doesn't seem like a terrible option, just at face value. But it is interesting how they are really pushing people away from what seem to also be perfectly valid messenger options as well. Real quick, the reason Meredith said that is the press document that they released says, quote, these digital tools, talking about Signal and WhatsApp and whatnot, these digital tools are not devoid of security flaws and therefore cannot guarantee the security of conversations and information shared via them, unquote. So that's why she's like, bro, what security flaws in Signal are you talking about? But on the Ovid's end, there are people who are also criticizing them. And so there are journalists saying that not everyone agrees with the PM's instruction. And they reveal that during the conversation with the French digital department, they expressed dissatisfaction with the directive, finding the promotion of Olvid excessive while also conveying that Signal is an acceptable platform. And someone said they personally criticized the app when they first heard about me. it two years ago. Huh? That's me. That's my Oh, job. that's you. I thought that was part of the Because article. when I read that note, when I read the name of that app, I was like, this rings a bell. I found a comment that I posted on Reddit like two years ago when somebody posted about this app. Well, if you want to share any uh, thoughts, definitely go for it. Oh, I noted that on their website, they had these exaggerated claims like they were the most secure messaging app in the world and other messengers require access to your data, which isn't always true. And they had a contradictory privacy policy where they were like, you know, we never see any metadata, but also we collect IP addresses. And for the record, that was two years ago. So take it with a grain of salt. They do have a web version, which is pretty cool. They also charge $5 a month. So I'm sure that there is absolutely no lobbying going on here. There's no like conflict of interest. It's just coincidence that they said stop using Signal and use this app that's definitely going to require everyone to pay for it. Right. There is a free version, but it's fairly limited. You can't even do outbound audio calls with the free version. Our last political story comes from Australia, where an Australian privacy watchdog refuses to investigate employer that allegedly accessed workers' personal emails. The Australian Information Commissioner refused to investigate an employer that allegedly accessed an employee's personal emails on the grounds that the information was accessed on the employee's work laptop. So this employee was suspended from his job at a mining industry company called Mercus in June of 2019 and was ordered to surrender his work laptop. I'm not even going to try to pronounce this person's name. Had used his laptop for personal activity, including saving his passwords for online banking, emailing from his personal account, and accessing his online cloud storage. 
In a complaint to the information commissioner made in 2019, he alleged that his iCloud and personal email accounts had been accessed by his employer. He said that he had received a letter from his employer after he was suspended, accusing him of working on personal projects and contacting rivals during working hours. He was suspended on that basis, but he claimed that his employer could have only known that by reading the contents of his personal emails and accessing information from his iCloud account. The employer told the information commissioner that the information investigated by the company had been stored on a company laptop, which was in line with company policy. The employee claimed that the company did not have a policy on storing personal information on company computers, or if it did, it wasn't used in his five years of working in the company's IT department. The company denied it had used personal information saved on the laptops to access his online accounts and provided IT policies dating back to 2013. A delegate for the commissioner in September 2021 informed the employee that the employer had not interfered with his right to privacy due to the employee record exemption of the Privacy Act. He also said the employee handbook stated that all data created, stored, or transmitted on systems amounted to a work product. And quoting what the delegate said, I consider that you were aware the work computer was not your private property and that any data saved to the computer may have formed part of your employee records as it was subject to routine monitoring and review. The employer does not require your consent to access or use the equipment that it issued to you to perform your employment duties. As the computer was a tool that the respondent provided to you to carry out your employment duties, it remains the property of the employer. David Vale, the privacy and surveillance stream lead at the University of New South Wales and Allen's hub for technology, law and innovation, that's a mouthful, said that the judgment is unhelpful for settling the law on this point, a consequence of the fact that a victim can't directly litigate their legal claim, and that as the court confirms, at the present, Australians still thus don't have a right to privacy, only a right to complain to a regulator who can, as this judgment confirms, take advantage of a wide range of justifications to do nothing if they feel like it with minimal court oversight. So basically he's saying like, I was hoping this would go to court so we would have legal precedent on whether or not people have a right to privacy in this situation, and it's a bummer that it didn't go to court. Open source, FOSS stories, Firefox for Android is getting over 400 more extensions in December, which is super exciting because they kind of temporarily almost got rid of extensions for Android and have been slowly bringing that back. That launch will arrive on December 14th and technically Firefox already supports extensions, but the library is pretty limited. And with this new update, Firefox users will get a lot more options as developers will have a route to port desktop extensions to Android. Mozilla has an online workshop for how to develop and or port their extensions for any of you who are building extensions. And the second FOSS story is pretty straightforward. Proton Pass Plus plan now includes the Proton Sentinel high security program. Title really says it all. So Proton Sentinel is their additional security. It's opt-in for the record. You're not opted in by default. You have to go opt into it. It's their program where it uses both AI and a human review to flag any potentially suspicious logins on your account. Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, I think has a whole episode where they talk about, no, it's a recent episode where he interviews Andy N from Proton and they do talk about it in there. It's not the whole episode, but they do talk about it. How does it work, etc. So if you want to know more, I definitely recommend checking that out. Basically now they're extending that program again, opt-in to Proton Pass Plus if you want to use it. So if you're a subscriber and you feel like this is something you want to take advantage of, you can go ahead and opt into that in the settings. And if any unauthorized parties try to log into your Proton Pass account, hopefully it will flag them and contact you and be like, hey, this is suspicious. Is this you? That was kind of a short story, so I'll go ahead and launch us into Misfits. And again, short week, we only have one story. It says, no, you don't need to turn off Apple's name drop feature in iOS 17. I just wanted to share this because apparently there's a lot of FUD 
fear, uncertainty, doubt, aka conspiracy theories going around about this one. Obviously, you can turn it off if you want. There's no harm in that. But here, Apple's name drop feature in iOS 17 is having a bit of a viral moment. Across the United States, police departments are warning adults to turn off the contact sharing feature on their iPhones and their children's devices. In addition, a widely shared TikTok video with over 2 million views describes how the feature let strangers at the gym or on the bus steal all your information. The catch? It's not true. You shouldn't worry about name drop being some huge security risk. First announced at the company's developer conference in June, NameDrop is an extension of Apple's AirDrop functionality. When NameDrop is turned on, two iPhones can activate the feature by holding the top ends of the smartphones together. The contact card with your email and phone number may pop up on your own device. After that, you can tap share or receive only. If you choose to share your contact information, it will be sent to the other device. End the transaction by tapping done in the top left corner of your screen. Contact sharing will be canceled if the two smartphones are moved apart anytime during the process, or if you decide to lock your iPhone using the power button. Even though NameDrop is auto-enabled when you update to iOS 17, it's crucial to note that consent is required throughout the process. Some random person on the street can't just bump into you for a few seconds and then walk away with your phone number. And then they note that the iPhone isn't the only Apple product that can use it. You can also use it on newer Apple Watches. You can receive info from iPhones as well as other Apple Watches. This last paragraph here, I, I really liked. Even though you shouldn't worry very much about the name drop feature on your iPhone, it's important to be aware of how your smartphone can leak personal data. A good place to start is by checking to see whether you're sharing location data in a way that you don't actually intend to. Another basic step is to keep your iPhone secure is to update the software as soon as the new option becomes available so Apple can patch potential exploits. I just thought that was really cool that at the end, they're like, hey, there are still privacy concerns with Apple and you should go make sure you're, you're taking care of those. So that's all we got for this week. Other than the data reach, it's kind of a short week. Google Drive has lost some user files, which is super not good. Remember to keep good backups. The LAPD is uh, test driving a new controversial surveillance software. We'll keep you updated if we hear anything about that. And the French government wants to switch to organically locally sourced messengers and much more information. So as always, stay subscribed. We will keep you updated on anything we hear, and we will bring you a whole new set of headlines next week. In the meantime, if you want to keep us going and help support the podcast, we have a Patreon, we have LibrePay, and we have Monero. Those are currently the three ways to support us. You can get perks on Patreon. If perks aren't your thing and you don't care, we have LibrePay. It's just, you know, another way to make it a recurring thing you don't have to think about if you'd prefer that. Or if you would prefer to do it manually, we have Monero. Again, we don't see anything about you, but we do appreciate all of your contributions that keep us going. So thank you guys for listening. And as always, share the podcast around. You know, if there's any stories, I sent that Google story to like six people this week. So you know, if there's any stories that you're like, oh man, people should hear about this, go ahead and timestamp them, send them to people, be like, hey man, check this out. And, uh, you know, again, if you're on a platform that allows a rating, go ahead and leave a rating. We're trying to reach as many people as possible and you can help us do that. Things like ratings, comments, likes, subscribe, the whole nine. So thank you guys again for listening and we will be back next week with a whole new set of stories for you.